Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, welcome to Lake Kickers Live. It is Thursday night, August 19th. An extra busy day. Been all around Nashville doing all sorts of things. So much so I left the wardrobe at home, and that has resulted in me wearing a V-neck. So from the white tee, I now introduce you to the white V. But nevertheless, we are jam-packed tonight, wall-to-wall, college football all over the place. I want to ask you a question. You've heard about all these Georgia injuries by now. We will discuss in just a couple of minutes. Has it really changed week one or the season? at all for Georgia or for Clemson. In a way, yes. I would argue in another way, it's changed it in the total opposite direction that I think most people expect it to have changed. Uh, I'm going to discuss that to lead the show. Also, there are a ton of things out there, obviously, that you could be talking about right now. If you're a Utah Utes fan, you're probably excited for different reasons than if you're a Virginia Tech Hokie fan or a Florida State fan. But there are a lot of things that you could be excited about. However, as you know, in preview magazine culture or just preview culture in general, some things bubble to the top and other things tend to get overlooked. Earlier today, I go on Twitter and I say, what are some under the radar things that you think need to get a lot more push, but don't get push right now? And you guys gave me like a hundred or 200 responses. So towards the end of the show tonight, because I thought some of them were really good. And to be honest with you, I realize we're part of the problem because I haven't spoken about a lot of them. Well, I'm going to speak about a lot of them tonight. Also, I have something in my hand that I'm not supposed to have. <clears throat> Didn't say it, Colin. You see that? Didn't say it. And it, what it is, in all actuality, is the 24-7 Sports True Freshman All-American list. Again, this is not released until tomorrow. But because I got my hands on it and threatened to leak it earlier in the day, and no one really made a great effort to stop me, we're going to do some of it tonight. I don't know if we're going to get in trouble, but we're going to do some of that tonight. All that plus whispers and intel from no less than five or six camps as quarterback races in some cases are being decided, but in some other cases, it's still a dead heat. And now that we're approaching scrimmage two, you start asking the question, could fill in the blank university go into week one with a two quarterback system? Yep. We're going to ask that about a couple of programs. So tonight, as I often do, I've got something to thank you for, and it's a wide-ranging thank you show to show. But tonight specifically, as we have approached the season and camps have gotten underway, something's been happening that has greatly impacted the show, and it's been on you. Information is the lifeblood of anything like this. Information is currency. If you don't have information, you're just regurgitating what everyone else says, and it's really boring, and you move on very quickly. I would. I wouldn't watch the show if there wasn't anything unique here. Well, a lot of the ways that we have come to get our information around here is from our network of team insiders. So the 24-7 Sports Network of Team Insiders is a phenomenal resource to have. I used it before I even worked here. But also, when you can have the kind of platform we have, you do get to talk to coaches, you get to talk to some people inside the programs, but the lifeblood, as of late, has not been anything I mentioned exclusively. On top of those two resources, 
We have had trainers from major programs. Uh, we have had people on the recruiting staff from major programs. We certainly have had coaches that have shared some information with us. But people who are in all walks of life in major programs reach out in the DMs. That's why I leave them open, at Late Kick Josh. And you know by now, if you watch the show, I don't violate anyone's trust. I don't run with stuff if you don't give me permission to. But here's what we use it to do. If I'm getting depth chart information, if I'm getting maybe injury information or maybe suspension information, maybe coaches rub the wrong way by each other, what it does is it shapes and informs the commentary that we have on the show to where it can be smarter than what you see everywhere else. I can't do that on my own, nor would I ever lead you to believe I could do that on my own. You guys are helping greatly. So all I would say is please continue. And if you're out there, because I know good and well a ton of you are listening, you feel like sharing something every now and then, hit me up at Lake Kick Josh, joshpate706 at gmail.com. I uh, really appreciate that. I mean, that obviously helps more than you can know. So let's dive into this whole Georgia Clemson thing, and let's set it against the backdrop of injuries earlier this week. So Georgia opens against Clemson. That much we know. Clemson is a slight favorite. That much we know. However, something changed earlier this week. After Wednesday into Thursday, which we are now, how is this game different? Now, if you've been out of the loop this week, yesterday, early in the afternoon, I get the heads up that we got two major injuries at Georgia. They have been whispered about, but I didn't have specifics. Get the specifics, given permission to run with it. And so what we have is Darnell Washington, starting tight end for Georgia, out three to four weeks, foot injury. You got Tyke Smith battling for and was probably going to figure in at some point in the starting rotation at defensive back, out three to four weeks minimum, foot injury. I'm not going to call them identical injuries, but for broad strokes purposes, they're kind of identical. Same timeline. That's what you're worried about if you're a Georgia fan. So three or four weeks minimum. What did we know about this game before that? Well, we knew that it was the biggest out-of-conference game probably of the year, at the very least, of week one. It's a huge test for both teams. It was going to be really exciting to see these two quarterbacks duel it out. Uh, but also, I think it's been a generally held consensus that it's a more pivotal game for Clemson to win than for Georgia to win. Why? Well, for the very simple reason, as this slider schedule on your screen is showing you, for the very simple reason that Georgia plays in a conference that perceptionally is held to a more lofty level than the ACC is. And number two, they're going to have other opportunities to get a little bit fatter, plus the SEC championship game promises to be there if they are fortunate enough to make it. Whereas Clemson, it was anyone's guess. And so people have looked at it, and I've agreed with this, and said it's more important for Clemson to win. So let's not sugarcoat things. This is a terrible thing for Georgia to lose these two players. And it's two guys who we have spoken about a lot on the show. If you've been watching Late Kick just last week, we took about three or four minutes and we were talking about Darnell Washington because at the time everyone was talking about Eric Gilbert and what it means if Eric Gilbert's not around for a portion or all of this year for Georgia. And Darnell Washington, and for that matter, Brock Bowers, those are guys who have been turning a lot of heads in camp. It's not that they snuck up on the staff by any stretch, uh, but even listening to Todd Munkin talk uh, last week when he made himself available for the media in Athens, he said, you know, towards last year, even we didn't know that Darnell Washington was capable of doing what he does. And so, yes, I mean, he was going to obviously figure to be a big part when Tyke Smith came on board. Why was it so big? It was so big because there's not a lot of experience in the secondary. I'm saying things we all know at this point. But what I do want to do is a couple of things. Number one, if you haven't already, if you're a Georgia fan, you ought to be subscribed to dogs247.com anyway. Uh, if you're already subscribed over there or if you're not, Go pay the very small amount of money it takes and then check out Jake Rowe's work today because what he did was he essentially broke it down 
from the standpoint that this is not the end of the world, I believe his words were, it's not a backbreaker, which is true. It's, it's not a good thing, but it's not a backbreaker. But kind of lost in all this doom and gloom for the dogs is the fact that the wide receiver room has all of a sudden started to get a little bit healthier. You find out that Jermaine Burton looks to be able to go, and certainly you're building towards him being full speed come week one. Looks like Kyrus Jackson is in a lot better position right now. You know, this was in doubt just last week, and you've always been kind of training towards having him ready for week one, but you never really know until you get there. So it looks like those two are going to be okay. They've got several other big names in the receiver room. They've got the kind of depth and versatility and just raw talent, top to bottom, that they haven't had there under Kirby Smart. This is a good thing. So we start the seesaw effect. We start to balance things out a little bit. But I think we kind of realize what this comes down to in week one. I mean, JT Daniels has got to win football game for Georgia. That's what it comes down to. See, good teams at the end of years, sometimes you look at and you say, boy, they had all the pieces, but injury got them. Great teams you look at and you say, as the confetti rains down around them, look at what they did in spite of losing player X and Y and Z. Alabama won the national championship last year. You remember Jalen Waddle going down? You remember how all their offense seemed to do after they lost him is speed up? In the national championship game, Alabama's without Waddle, the second half, Devontae Smith, second half, and they outscore Ohio State 14-zip anyway. That's what a great team does. So you're about to find out, because quarterbacks eventually got to win you a game, and it's this kind of game. You're going to find out early in the season about JT Daniels. It could be that the most important game for Georgia the whole year happens week one. You never know, because you don't know how the rest of the dominoes are going to fall. Quarterbacks have got to win you games. Georgia's depth can beat Kentucky, okay? Georgia's size and strength, they can beat Vanderbilt. It doesn't matter if the quarterback shows up or not. Quarterback's got to win you this game. So that's who it's going to fall on. And he is not without weapons. You're not going to walk away from Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, North Carolina, and say, JT Daniels showed up, but man, we just didn't have anyone to throw the ball to. We didn't have anyone to hand the ball off to. That's not it. That's not it. If you got to trade points, if you got to win 38-35, Win 38-35. But the other thing that I kind of wanted to touch on before we move on here is the whole dynamic talk. Now, I don't know in reality how much this matters at all in a locker room. I would venture to think not all that much. But it certainly matters in our world. The whole dynamic of this game, I think, did shift a little bit. I think the dynamic of the Georgia-Clemson game certainly shifted. I just don't think it shifted the way people tend to believe it did. I heard a lot of people immediately after this injury news came out saying things along the lines of, boy, this really puts a lot of pressure on Georgia. Got hot trash? No, it doesn't. Puts a lot of pressure on Clemson. Nothing changed for Georgia. I mean, they lost some players. The game itself may get harder to win for them. But go back to the beginning of the show. What what have we been saying about Georgia since the beginning of spring? Georgia is in a position where they really need to win the game, but they don't have to win it. Clemson, on the other hand, maybe they have to win it. None of that stuff changed. In fact, I would argue this. If the worst case for Clemson were to pan out and the ACC just lays an egg this year and they cannot get fat on their conference schedule and they face, let's say, a two or three loss team instead of an undefeated or a one loss team in the ACC title game. And we're looking back and we're trying to find strength of schedule boosters and they lost to what we perceive to be a hobbled Georgia Bulldogs team in week one. What's the resume look like, especially at that point, if it's being measured against, for example, a Big 12 champ, Oklahoma, or an SEC champ, Alabama, or an SEC champ, Georgia, 
we don't know what the rest of the country produces. What if Cincinnati's undefeated? And then you got Clemson with the one loss there, but they really don't have any other great big granite pillars to paint the resume with and lean on. I don't know what you do. I don't really like to play the playoff hypothetical game in August. But what I'm saying is I don't think the dynamic shifted more towards putting pressure on Georgia at all. Again, I don't think that matters in locker rooms at all. But this is a sport still where a committee ultimately decides your fate. Now, you put your resume in their hands, and that's what I'm talking about. That's kind of the context here. But ultimately, no, I don't think it really changed the dynamic nearly to the degree that I think a lot, I saw at least a lot of people suggest it would. Okay, so that's the takeaway there. I want to move on to some camp whispers and into a lot of interesting things going on right now. A whole lot of interesting things at the quarterback position happening. Over on 247sports.com, as we speak, Blake Brockermeyer's got a really good feature up just about the quarterback position and several major programs right now still with varying degrees of question at the quarterback position. Start at Ohio State. The question here certainly, at least in my mind and most people's minds around Columbus, is not who's going to take the field against Minnesota as the starting quarterback in week one, which is a Thursday night game, by the way. That's not the question. I was doing a radio hit on, on Big Ten Radio on Sirius XM today, and we were talking about this. And my mind went back to, I want to say it was that 2015 or 16 season for Alabama. Remember a guy by the name of Blake Barnett? Blake Barnett was a five-star, all-world, very decorated high school guy. He comes in. He's one of the highest-ranked quarterbacks Bama's brought in in a long time. And there was this other kid out of Texas named Jalen Hurts. But every practice report and every whisper and intel and every message board thread all led you to believe it's Blake Barnett's job. He's taking reps with the ones, and Jalen Hurts is a nice guy to provide depth. His time will come eventually. But then football happened, and they take the field against Southern Cal, and Blake Barnett's a deer in headlights. And so Nick Saban, he's not going to sit there and watch it when he knows he's got quality depth behind his starter. He's not going to sit there and give the guy too much of a leash. And so he pulled that leash, and he sent Jalen Hurts out there. Jalen Hurts took the job by the throat. He never let it go. I'm not doing some apples-to-apples comparison here of Blake Barnett to C.J. Stroud. I think C.J. Stroud is a stud. But what I'm saying is I don't care if I'm Ryan Day. I don't really know what I have in a football player, quarterback included, until he plays in a football game. For me, not a high school football game and not a a scrimmage and not a spring game. So C.J. Stroud takes the field against Minnesota. If they're up 21-3 after one quarter, we probably have our answer. But there's this other thing that can happen. He could stumble out of the gate. Now, normally, if you're in a situation where you have a pronounced starter and there is no solid depth behind him, you got to ride or die with that quarterback. But as we can clearly see, that's not the case. We've got C.J. Stroud as the starter at Ohio State, but you've got Kyle McCord, who could probably start at about 95% of programs in America. If they were not to get off to the most glowing of starts in week one against Minnesota, how long is that leash going to be? Because you'd be shocked. How many preview magazines have ink in them that says C.J. Stroud and how firmly you have planted in your mind the concept of C.J. Stroud starting quarterback at Ohio State? We did the same thing with Blake Barnett in 2015. And then over the span of like 10 to 15 game time minutes, everything about your preseason thoughts go out the window. Don't ever, when you have a quarterback competition with multiple quality candidates, do not marry yourself to practice reports. Don't marry yourself to your preseason expectations because the coaching staff can't afford to. And they're the ones with firsthand knowledge. So if they can't, then I nor you absolutely can't. Let's go to Texas. Now, this is one we've talked about pretty much every show. 
because it matters. That's why we've talked about it every show. Steve Sarkeesian, as recently as yesterday, still stating that he does not know who his starter is going to be between Casey Thompson and Hudson Card, nor does he have a definitive timeline on this thing. And I am growing, as a result, more and more curious by the day about whether we may be heading towards a week one game against Louisiana where we may see two quarterbacks taking the field as part of the game plan. Now, that may have been the case all along anyway, but right now it could be the case because we don't have a starter by then. I believe Steve Sarkeesian now when he says, I'm going to make the choice when I feel it. And if I don't feel it, then I'm not making the choice today, tomorrow, a week from now. I really think that's where they're at. I mean, they had a very disappointing scrimmage. He said as much. Steve Sarkeesian said as much last week. They got another one coming up and – I mean, you never know, like someone could separate and someone could really own that scrimmage. I think they scrimmage this Saturday, but right now no one's taking it. And I've spoken my piece about why I think it's so important for someone to grab that job uh, for like four or five different reasons, not the least of which you need one to win your football games. But I think reputation early on, it's, it's on the line for Steve Sarkeesian in a way it shouldn't be. Really think about what I just said, because it's kind of stupid. Steve Sarkeesian's reputation is the reason he got the job. Steve Sarkeesian's reputation as a play caller or a developer at the quarterback position after that clinic he put on the last couple of years is not in doubt. But yet it's still going to be thrust in doubt, whether I like it or not, if he makes a decision and then that guy bombs early in the year and the locker room sees it and the fan base, the assembled media see it, well, Sark must have made the wrong call. Well, that's only if the other guy was the right call. I mean, the guy's forgotten, Steve Sarkeesian, more about developing this position and coaching this position than we'll ever know in 10 lifetimes. Stands to reason he probably, even if the guy bombs, chose the lesser of, I don't want to say two evils. We're talking about college quarterbacks, but you understand what I mean there. Point being, nothing is settled in Austin. We have gotten well past the point where we hoped it would have been settled, but that's where things stand right now. How about Auburn? Auburn was Bo Nix's job to lose, still is, as far as I'm concerned. But then there was a little bit of a wrench thrown into the plans, for some at least, when T.J. Finley announced he was transferring from LSU to Auburn. Anytime you got a guy who has experience as a starter in your own division against you, as it turns out last year, yes, it at least bears watching. So where do things stand right now? Well, on a scale of, let's say, stone-faced to stunned, I would be pretty... Heavily surprised if Bo Nix is not the starting quarterback for Auburn. Having said that, from everything that we can gather from Auburn, T.J. Finley has not disappointed at all down there. I think T.J. Finley has validated a lot of that coaching staff's intuition about bringing him in in the first place. So at the very, very least, you're developing some quality quarterback depth. Now, I'm still a fan of Demetrius Davis, but that's another show. So moving forward... The second part of this, and what I've been asking about Auburn the whole time anyway, is, well, you decide your quarterback, and that's wonderful. If it's Bo Nix, who we think it will be on this show, at least at this point, that's wonderful. But then you ask the the very important follow-up question. Who's he throwing the ball to? We know who he's handing it to down there. Who's he throwing the ball to? Well, that brings me to my next point, and that is the returns out of Auburn about their receiver room unless they're just blowing smoke, which I don't tend to think they are about this particular topic, have been very good. So who knows? Maybe we see a competent, fully functioning forward motion offense down there after all. You look at the Auburn schedule, uh, it is not like Georgia's. They they don't face a top five team right out of the gate. They got a couple of games, tune up against Akron and Alabama State, and then they go to Penn State. 
If you win that game, that's wonderful. You're well ahead of schedule. If you lose that game competitively, it's not the end of the world. You come home with Georgia State. And so think about what you've had at this point. If you're looking at this schedule, all due respect, you should have, unless disaster strikes, have an entire spring, an entire summer workout and conditioning period, fall camp, and three opportunities to get both quarterbacks meaningful reps. So you go to LSU on, what is that, October 2nd, you know for better or for worse what the Auburn Tigers offense looks like this year. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How about at Michigan? Not as much suspense or intrigue here. It was last week. We didn't really get to talk about it all that much. Jim Harbaugh made it official there, though. Cade McNamara is the starter. Uh, The only kind of mild storyline as spring went on that had been accompanied with Michigan was J.J. McCarthy's coming in, highest-rated guy they brought in in a little while. And was he going to be able to overtake McNamara as a freshman? Um I was 50-50 on that. I mean, I I watched it, but it became clear as camp started that probably wasn't the way it was going to shake out. And Jim Harbaugh's been pretty definitive about this when he's talked about it. So just like Auburn, you do not associate Michigan with great great wide receiver play. At least you haven't recently, just like you had with Auburn. At Auburn, they're very happy with their receiver room. At Michigan, you got people around there who would look you dead in the eyes and say, wide receiver is our best position group on this team. And they have names now. Names. I wouldn't necessarily go as far as to say it's a bunch of proven production, but then if I were to say that in a debate stage, they would come back at me and say, okay, but we haven't done from an offensive standpoint what we're going to do this year. I can buy that in August. Again, it's August right now. I can buy that. Now, in November, I'm going to have, I'm going to have all this intel and I'm going to be able to throw it in your face. So it better tell me what you're promising me right now, but I can buy that. So Cade McNamara, uh, really good backfield hopefully a very, very good offensive line, but they believe certainly the best wide receiver group they've had. Let's do it. Listen, you got Washington coming in there week two. I'm not necessarily overlooking the Broncos of week one, Western Michigan, but you got Washington coming in there week two. I think we all understand how borderline disastrous it would be if Michigan's already got a loss on the resume before they open conference play against Rutgers. So let's do it. It's there to be done. And last but not least, the Oregon Ducks. Kind of like another situation we just talked about with, um, man, I skipped over Texas A&M. I forgot all about it. You know what, guys? After Oregon, I'll hit Texas A&M right quick. It's not about QB1 at Oregon. That is, again, I think been made pretty clear. When we talked about Oregon on the show the other night, had some folks from Oregon hit me up, folks very close to the program, and say, it's not, it's, it's, we'll be okay. We'll be fine. We feel very good, regardless of who we're running with at quarterback. So, 
I trust that person's opinion. Having said that, again, it's not about week one. It's that week two game. Everyone circles. And that Ohio State game is going to, I think, provide a very good filter for that team. And you're going to run that offense through that filter, and you're going to see what's left. And then we're going to, I think, reassess the Oregon season. And we're going to ask, where is Ty Thompson at that point? Because Anthony Brown's in all likelihood starting the season, but if they go on the road and the worst fear is realized, I mean, worse things have happened, and they can't move the ball, even though they got all these weapons, one of which we're going to talk about at great length later in the show, then I think we got to have a strong conversation because we haven't lost a conference game by that point. Still got our entire conference slate, but I mean, we got to make sure we're maximizing the functionality of the offense. And since I skipped right over Texas A&M, let's uh, shoot back down to College Station right quick. Still feel like it's Haynes King here. I don't think that's ever changed. I don't think there's been a point where anyone close to the programs looked and said, nah, no, I think things have changed. Having said that, Zach Calzada has gotten a lot of meaningful reps in camp. Uh, Zach Calzada is somebody that if you ask Jimbo Fisher about him right now, he would speak probably about three times as fast as I am. But he'd say, I feel like Zach can win us football games. I do too, for the record. Uh, That's not a bad quarterback there. And so... I think the follow-up is, because it's a little different dynamic, Texas A&M doesn't open with marquee opponents. They play Kent State, Colorado, and Denver, no less. Fun fact coming up. And they play New Mexico. And so we get to find out. We probably get to find out in some, in some stretched score situations, if you will, what these two quarterbacks are all about. Now, here's the fun fact. The fun fact is you see this game they're playing in Week 2. They're playing Colorado. They're playing them in Denver. You know, Vanderbilt plays Colorado State the same day. And Colin, I don't know if you got stats and info in there. No, you don't because you're the only person here. Okay, so our stats and info department's not ready. But if they were, I would venture to think this has got to be the first time two SEC programs have played a game in the state of Colorado in the same day in the history of the earth. And that's going back a long way. So that's a look at the quarterback situations around just America and, and earth, but, but not necessarily extending far from that. Okay, now this is where we can get in some trouble. So yesterday, I heard rumors around here, and that's normally about as far as they get with me. I don't get to be on the editorial staff. Let me correct you. I ask not to be on the editorial staff because there's too many meetings, so I let Trey Scott handle all that. I just show up five minutes before the show and, and hope that we stay on air. But sometimes I hear rumors around here. And so let me paint you a little picture. Here's the scene tomorrow morning at 24-7 Sports. There's a lot of hustle and bustle. It's a Friday morning. It's a release morning. And there's a lot of suspicion around here tomorrow morning. And there's a lot of distrust and looking over shoulders. And there is probably an entire HR department on a roller coaster's morning trying to remember how they handle espionage and how they handle a mole. Well, if you'll lean in right quick. I'm the leak. I'm the mole. Tomorrow morning, the rumor, as it turns out, was true. They're releasing the 24-7 Sports True Freshman All-American team. But I got the entire list right here. So allow me to share this highly confidential information for you. The whole thing releases tomorrow morning, but I got one, two, three. I'm going to tell you five of them right off the top. Mason Smith at LSU is one of our True Freshman All-Americans. 6'5", 315. Now, this guy was a five-star in every sense of the word when he committed to LSU Big defensive lineman, big-time prospect in high school. And also, if you'll think about where LSU was last year, it's not very much. It wasn't very good defensively, and they couldn't stop the run to save their life. And so not only did Ed Orgeron obviously know he had to hit the reset button 
at everything up to and including defensive coordinator. But also, you know, when you bring in Durante Jones and you and he and your entire defensive staff, you do an assessment, it would never benefit you more than it does right now to give everybody open access to these starting spots. Now, LSU, contrary to popular belief, will not be a sieve defensively. Far from it, up front defensively this year. They feel exceptionally good, unlike last year, about the depth and talent and skill and versatility that they have along the defensive line. But Mason Smith, even having said all that, you look at this resume here, he will factor in, and he will factor in heavily. Now, they got Farrell and Logan. Glenn Logan's been hurt. I think he'll eventually be back. But you got Evans. You got, of course, Smith. Uh, you got Roy. They've got a lot of really, really good bodies that they can rotate on the interior alone of the defensive line. But I was hitting up someone really close to the program today, and I said, I want you to take your best guess. I mean, this is someone who, who has their ear very much up against the pulse of every day-to-day practice. And I said, if I were to take Mason Smith, and I asked you, how many snaps you think he'll be playing in games early in the year? The guess was about 30 to 40 snaps against UCLA. If it's a normal game, 70 to 80 snaps in a game, uh, that is heavy rotation. And so they feel really good where they are now. But, you know, Glenn Logan or no Glenn Logan, Mason Smith's going to factor in. So that's one of our true freshmen All-American. How about Javari Ritzy? Same position, different university. Let's go to North Carolina. Javari Ritzy is going to be a true freshman All-American for the preseason, at least here. 6'5", 285. Uh, this is a guy, along with Keyshawn Silver, two of the hallmarks of North Carolina's signing class. Regardless of whether it says starter next to their name, these, again, are guys who are going to factor in very heavily this year. And when you talk to coaches about Ritzy, and you talk to people on the North Carolina staff about Ritzy, they say motor is there, strength is there, leverage, everything that we need from a raw, God-given standpoint is there. Techniques, never it's never been anything about other than technique with him, and it's not something that there's a Grand Canyon's gap between him right now and being able to get on the field. But when he came in there, that was the talk. That's still the talk. He'll get it. At some point this year, he'll get it. And so it's not necessarily just a week one thing with a guy like Javari Ritzy. Check on, check on him in week one when they play Virginia Tech. But then come back in week six or week seven, you know, when Miami's coming in there and it's the midpoint of the season, you've reached the teeth of your conference schedule. And then ask me how many snaps per game Javari Ritzy, Keyshawn Silver, guys like that are getting. Because I think that number in the second half of the season will be a whole lot higher. Now let's go to Texas. And we didn't think we were going to be saying the University of Texas with this name, but we are. Another true freshman, All-American, for 24-7 sports in the preseason is Xavier Worthy. Absolutely. Probably the biggest slam dunk or one of the biggest slam dunks that I saw on this list. He's a wide receiver. He's 6'1", about 170 pounds. An unexpected addition to this Texas signing class. And the reason is because I sat right here at this desk and made a huge deal on signing day about him going to Michigan. Well, it turns out he didn't go to Michigan. He ends up at Texas. And a lot of folks in Ann Arbor are salty about it. You have reason to be. I've heard your excuses. They are valid. But that doesn't change the fact that he's going to be dressing for Texas this year. And I think he's going to be starting as a true freshman for Texas this year. Remember what Texas has lacked, namely speed at the receiver position, which is why I have never really gotten into this whole, Texas has got a lot of talent. Look at the team talent composite. They should be winning games. I could have 47 five-star linebackers on my team and be really high in the 24-7 team talent composite. I'm going to suck. 
because I don't have it evenly distributed. Well, one of the places that Texas has had critical under, oh boy, Colin, how about this word? Distribution. Distribution. Yeah, that's what I wanted to go with. Under distribution of that talent, it's been receiver. They had had speed, man. They can't pop the top off defenses. Well, Xavier Worthy can. Steve Sarkeesian knows that. And that's why right in, in camp, not even the season, in camp, he's been right at the forefront of all the conversations. You go over to Horns 24-7. You, you read Chip Brown's practice reports. You, you read Mike Roach and the folks over there. All they talk about when they talk about receiver is got to fill out from a depth perspective, but Xavier Worthy has been one of the mainstays. you got Whittington. Uh, you got O'Meary. I'm not discounting more. I know he's there. When I've spoken about the quality depth here, I'm talking about having dudes like Alabama's had. I'm talking about lacking those kinds of dudes. Xavier Worthy was recruited by Alabama for a reason. He is one of those kind of dudes. Michigan got him, but now his home is Austin, Texas. So Xavier Worthy is going to be maybe not the finest technician in the world in 2021, but a huge weapon for Texas in 2021. Let's go out to the West Coast. Corey Foreman, former number one player in the country, also a 24-7 sports consensus preseason All-American. 6'4", 265, defensive lineman, huge deal for USC to keep him home. That goes without saying. But also, you've got elite pass rush traits here. And unlike some of the time, especially at this kind of position where you get a guy with five stars next to his name in, but he's kind of raw, from a college perspective, and so he doesn't immediately get on the field and flash in week one or week two, Corey Foreman's there. Those defensive coaches at Southern Cal have gushed about him, and they don't have to. They are volunteering this information. So he is going to be right there, a central part of their defensive approach with Drake Jackson on the other side. Those two are going to make up one of the best pass-rushing duos in the country much less on the West Coast. Now, Kayvon Thibodeau up at Eugene will get a ton of run, as he should. He's probably the best defensive player in the country, along with Derek Stingley in the preseason at least. But these two right here, you're talking about pass rushing duos. Uh, Drake Jackson, Corey Foreman, if he fulfills half of the hype that his own coaching staff has created for him, they'll be a force. I mean, that's a game-changing duo that you potentially have there. And speaking of Oregon, and speaking of weaponry that I wanted to talk about from earlier in the show – Boy, Troy Franklin's a good football player. You don't know him unless you're probably around Oregon and you follow recruiting. Troy Franklin is a big-bodied, true freshman receiver, 6'3", 170. And the wide receiver culture is about to change, in large part because of Troy Franklin at Oregon. Uh, this has been a ground-and-pound team as of late, and that's going to change. you got other guys like Dante Thornton in the mix here. They brought in several true freshman skill guys that I think are about to flip that entire Oh, that dirty word, narrative. They're going to flip it. I tried to retire the word yesterday to no avail. So that N-word, that narrative, yeah, they're going to flip that thing up at Oregon. And he's going to be a big reason why. And let me also tell you, much like Xavier Worthy at Texas, it hasn't mattered. It hasn't mattered that that TFR is next to his name. He's walked right in. He's running with the ones at X receiver. And so the other good news, especially for Troy Franklin, is he doesn't have to shoulder the load. They've got excellent tailback skill there. Troy Franklin is surrounded by several other big-time receivers that could start at a lot of programs. And so Oregon has got, again, on paper, they got all the talent in the world that should spell a pretty high-level offense this year. We're going to wait and see, but that's what it should look like at Oregon this year. So those are five 
true freshman All-Americans, Mason Smith, Javari Ritzy, Xavier Worthy, Corey Foreman, Troy Franklin, arrest me if you have to, but sometimes you just got to leak sensitive information around here. Last thing I wanted to touch on tonight, and it could be the last time we talk for a while based on what I just did. There are some things that are off the radar, true enough. Here you go, Colin. Here's your intro. So I hop on Twitter today. I was looking to fill out the rest of the show. And I said, you know what? Let's just crowdsource it. And so I tweeted out, what are some things in college football that are off the radar right now that shouldn't be off the radar? And boy, did you respond. I'm looking right now at my account. Uh, there, there are hundreds of responses here at this point. So I wrote down a few, and I just want to go down the list. This will be the most discombobulated, fragmented segment that we do all month. But here we go. Home field advantage. Absolutely. And this has not been off of our radar. If you've been watching or listening to the podcast, even, we've talked about this several times. You see, in the odds making world, there is a unique home field advantage that is ascribed to each program. Boise State, for a long time, had a disproportionately high home field. You would think that LSU would have a bigger one. For a long time, Boise had a bigger one. It's directly correlated to what a team performs like in your building in relation to what they perform like on average. And so anyway, I don't know exactly how much to quantify this. I'm just telling you, and coaching staffs are keenly aware of this. They have been working on it a lot, even more so than they normally would, about going into true road environments with first and second year players filling out a lot of their two deep, in a lot of cases starting at this point, and having never experienced it. A lot of times this is overblown, especially in today's college football with how good teams are at running silent. A lot of times it's overblown. This year, if anything, one of my most favorite aspects of college sports, that being home field advantage in football, could be undervalued in week one. And I say that even knowing a lot of people in the gambling community are trying to account for it. I don't think you can account for the fact that in any given game, Home field could tilt a game 11 points. Well, no one in their right mind is attributing 11 points for home field. You're normally looking at anywhere from two to four points. And maybe if you're radical, you bump it up to five this year in a game. I'm just telling you, there are going to be some games where it's so glaring. And you look at it and you say, there's no way I could have ever quantified that this was going to have this kind of impact in this game. You're probably looking at the first quarter of the season where this has max effect. NC State, the Wolfpack. It's another program we have not spoken about on this show. They returned nearly the entire team from an 8-4 and four campaign last year. They had 10 guys carry the ball last year. They returned nine of them. I mean, that's a really good stat. They got a lot of experience coming back. Uh, Steven Muma, I think I read, put that out there. I did not research that on my own. But the question about NC State is not the quality of team. I mean, they have plenty of reason to be optimistic. I will tell you why there's skepticism around NC State as to whether they can improve on that record from last year. It's called a road trip to Mississippi State, Clemson at Boston College, at Miami, Louisville at FSU, at Wake Forest. That stretch right there is consecutive. That is four road games in a five-week stretch. We're showing you right now on the YouTube stream. That is not an enviable spot to be in. And let me make sure one, two, three. Yeah, there's no bye week in there. That's tough. That is, you don't get to see mom very often. Uh, I'll see you at the Louisville game. Otherwise, uh, Thanksgiving, probably about the next time I'm going to see you. So yes, yes, this is a quality team. And no, the schedule for me, same deal with Arkansas. We're about to talk about it, actually. does not change the quality of team, but it absolutely could change the record, which goes to show you for the millionth time, you are not always what your record says you are in college. 
Speaking of records and speaking of misleading rankings in the preseason, what about Arkansas? Because this is another program you guys brought up, and I completely agree with you. Let me pull this up. I just I had our friends over at College Football Unlimited today. Uh, that is a it's a website that I partner with and I fully endorse. You want to simulate some? Tell you what, you want a gambling resource aside from what you get elsewhere? Check out CollegeFootballUnlimited.com. Uh, that is. That is, I know who runs the site. Very, very quality service. So anyway, I had him do a little research for me. And I said, do me a favor. Take Arkansas, a team that most people aren't expecting to make a bowl game this year. And as a result, they aren't ranking high. I said, give them Coastal Carolina's schedule. How many games would they be favored in? And CFU comes back about 15 seconds later, says 12-0. They're favored to go 12-0. So Coastal's ranked to start the year. It's because you expect them to do something schedule-wise, I'm guessing. I know good and well you are not running down the starting lineups of Coastal Carolina without checking a magazine. And so I'm asking you this. Is Arkansas ranked low and off everyone's radar because you don't think the quality of team is worth anything? Or you just look at this nightmare of a schedule that would be tough in the AFC South and say, I don't think they can do anything against that. Because you may be right on the back half of that statement, but I was looking at the JP poll, which we are preparing for release, I got Arkansas ranked in the mid-30s. A team ranked in the mid-30s, let's say 35, the 35th best team in the country should never be in doubt as to whether they're going to make a bowl. But they are when they have to play Texas and then A&M and at Georgia and at Ole Miss. And you see that highlight if you're watching on YouTube over A&M? That's a neutral site game, which means Arkansas is going on an airplane three weeks in a row only to welcome in Auburn afterwards. Brutality. And then, by the way, in case that wasn't enough for you, I'm going to go ahead and give you back-to-back road games against LSU and Alabama, followed by a home game, but it's really in Little Rock, against Missouri. So I'm going to give you a grand total of two true SEC home games in Fayetteville. I'm going to make you play, well, a murderer's row on the road. Uh, One of your neutral site games is against Texas A&M, and then the other one's at the end of the year against Missouri. Little Rock, Arkansas, last week of November. It's cold. It's damp. It is very gray. It looks like the Big Ten, in other words. And you can't skill. There's no skill in forecasting that that far out. But that's tough. But my point is, that doesn't deter me from thinking Arkansas is a quality team this year. Because if I did nothing more than change the schedule around and give them Coastal Carolina's schedule, all of a sudden we're talking about whether they could be on the fringes of playoff contention. Nothing changed except the fact that we think they can win all their games. Point one hundred and one for why you're not always what your record says you are. What about um? What about the Pac-12? Some of you wanted to point out, and I agree with this. You know, I agree with this that the Pac-12 may be way better than people think this year. Now, a lot of people's ammunition here was that there are five, count them, five Pac-12 teams in the preseason AP poll, which was rumored to have been released this week. I hear. Well, that's true, but then the very important follow-up that not a lot of you attached as an addendum was zero top 10, which is, has been, and will continue to be the story in this conference until proven otherwise. You got a lot of decent, you got no great, someone's got to flip the script. But this is going to be a fun conference to watch. I talk about the Pac-12 more than I should, given what our numbers say about it, but that's fine. I like Pac-12. The South will be insanity this year. Arizona State was going to be many people's pick to win it. And now you've got all kinds of unrest off the field there, so no one quite knows what to make of them. But then also, I mean, we've got the odds to win the Pac-12 right now on the screen. Look at that. 
You've got one, two, you got five teams under plus 1,000 to win this thing. Uh, you wait, wait a second. I don't know what Utah State's doing on there. Maybe the University of Utah. Are we are we realigning conferences right now? Did we? I don't think we're allowed to do that. Hold on a second. Hold on. They're not okay. So Utah State is not in the Pac-12 as of tonight. We don't know what could happen by daybreak. But I will say this: Utah inserted for Utah State. There, they got a shot to win the Pac-12 South. Arizona State's in it. USC is favored at the moment. I think still, unless something changed, to win the Pac-12 South. UCLA is there with a much tougher schedule than their crosstown brethren. That's going to be a knife fight. I don't know if anyone's going to be in contention for anything more than the division, but that's going to be a knife fight. But then, what day is this game? Uh, That November 6th game between Washington and Oregon? That could be huge for the Pac-12. What if both of the teams were undefeated? Well, that would, of course, mean there's been a monumental upset pulled off by Oregon at Ohio State. That would also mean Washington has gone on the road to beat Michigan. Really, either of those would be a giant feather in the cap for the Pac-12, but that should be a huge showcase game for them. So cross your fingers there. But as I said, yes, five teams in the top 25. I don't think it's radical as a concept. Zero teams in the top 10. I also agree with that. Moving on, the Big 12 coaching situation. And let's just discount Texas. Let's discount Oklahoma. This one I came up with on my own. I kind of dovetailed it off someone else's point. I think it really bears watching in the Big 12 this year what TCU is doing, what Kansas State is doing, what Oklahoma State is doing, what Iowa State is doing, because I don't like what's about to come out of my mouth, but that doesn't change the fact that it's reality. The sand is shifting right beneath everyone's feet out there, and if you're not Texas or OU, you don't know how it ends. And right now, you got a lot of guys like Mike Gundy, like Chris Kleiman. I'll throw Gary Patterson in this. I'll certainly throw Matt Campbell at Iowa State in this that currently reside as head coaches at established Power 5 programs. And I don't know if that label is going to be attached to those programs five years from now or three years from now. And I'm saying that to ask you, could this year all of a sudden turn into a giant interview, a giant resume builder, a giant job fair for these guys? Dave Aranda at Baylor fits this description too. I don't like that at all. But yet, what do you do? Especially if there's demand for you. There would be demand for Mike Gundy. There's huge demand for Matt Campbell. Chris Kleiman is one of the rising stars in our industry. Are they staying put even as there's so much uncertainty and options elsewhere for them? I think that's something to watch as the season moves on. And some other things that I couldn't even fit in. Jameer Gibbs at Georgia Tech, one of the most electric players in the ACC. Had someone tell me that's the best player on Georgia Tech's team. Yes. Malik Willis could be in the Heisman conversation, could have Liberty on the precipice of upsetting someone's New Year's Six bid. Yes, the Sun Belt, led by Louisiana. But it certainly doesn't end with Louisiana. A lot of quality football to be played in the Sun Belt this year. Yes, friends, there is a lot that's off the radar that should be on the radar a little bit more. And so we're done being part of the problem. We want to be part of the solution. So there you go. We almost put a team in a new conference tonight. So don't say we're not trying, because we absolutely are trying around here. Hey, do me a favor as I send this into the live chat, so you know I'm right here. I need you to do me a favor. It's very simple. Subscribe to the channel. 70% of our viewers still aren't subscribed, so please do that. And make sure you're following on Twitter and Instagram, at LateKickJosh. And other than sharing the stuff out there, that's about all I need you to do. For Director Colin, for our entire crew down in Fort Lauderdale, I'm Josh Pate. Have yourselves a great start to the evening, and God bless.
You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.